You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful, grateful to be in your presence today, grateful that we can come and worship you, grateful, God, that we can submit our will into your hands so that we can better understand your perfect will for us. We thank you, Father, for Jesus, and we pray, God, that as we think today about him being the pace setter for our lives, God, that we will learn how to run this race with endurance by fixing our eyes on him as he runs with us, as he leads us, as he guides us, and that we will throw off everything and anything that is getting in the way. We thank you, Father, for your incredible son. Let us just live our lives in such a way to make him proud. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we are looking at our third lesson in our series, Run the Race, and it's called, as I was praying, Keep Up with the Pace Setter. Um, how many of you have ran a race with a pace setter before? Oh, a few of you. Okay, I cannot run that far to need a pace setter. So I don't no idea what it looks like. But I know spiritually that it is of great value to have somebody who's willing to go ahead, who's willing to kind of cheer me on as I may lag behind a little bit, someone who's willing to set the pace, what I need to keep up with in order to succeed or in order to win the race. That's who we have in Jesus. I saw this image and I thought I really liked it. Isn't that awesome? That's us running this race of life. Jesus is there, he's just jogging and we're sweating and sprinting as hard and as fast as we can and he's like, you know what, you've got this. And he, sometimes he runs ahead just a little bit and we have to catch up with him. Other times he's kind of dragging us a little bit but it's all okay. You know why? Because we're running with Jesus. That's all that matters. And our verse for today is this. Hebrews 12 verse 2a. And it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know, this verse is, is pretty amazing. And actually, it could be three or four sermons just out of this one verse. And so, I'm not going to be able to do it justice by any means today. And so, I'd like to encourage you to study it out this week. And I'll sow some seeds for things for you to look at today. But, you know, dig into the word this week and think about what these different concepts mean. In the Amplified Version, I really like how they, um, how they translate or add to this verse. And this is, it, cause it goes a little bit more into the Greek to understand what's behind even some of the Greek words. And this is what they write. Looking away from all that will distract us, focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. That's pretty much what this verse is, encapsulates in those few verses. You see that word focus, it doesn't just mean that you look at something, but it means that you then stop looking at all other things that are, that are a distraction. It's, there's, there's a duality to it. You look away from so that you can look to with intention and real focus uh, on that particular thing. And of course, that thing is Jesus. And we, we already studied out a couple of weeks ago that, that the Bible says we've got to throw off everything 
that stops us from focusing on Jesus. This verse then also says, not only should we be focusing on him, but actually we've got to remember who he is in our lives. And I'm going to come to that in a moment. Now, if you were at midweek on Wednesday, you will know what Vim means. Okay, and if you don't, then please watch the YouTube video so you can understand what we're talking about. But as we know, vim means vision, intention, and means. And it's just one way to be able to analyze scripture. So I did a vim analysis on our verse, and this is what we have. And you're welcome to argue with me about it if you want. Some people did after Wednesday. That's okay, I don't mind. Steve was doing it right in the meeting. But that's okay. That's okay. So, what is the vision for this verse? I think it's pretty clear. This verse says that Jesus wants our faith to be perfected, to be complete, to be fully mature. That as he looks at us and he sees us running this race, and as we run this race of life, at some point, whether it's by the end, whether it's by the end of this year, he wants all of our faith to be perfect in every way. Fully complete, not lacking anything. The finished article. Any of us there right there today? No, okay. There's still work to be done in all of us. But that is the goal, for our faith faith to be complete. I like this. So that's the first vision, okay? Let's move on. Now, how does he do that? How does he perfect our faith? He perfects it, sometimes I think, through hardships and challenges. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But ultimately, we've got to have a faith to begin with, correct? And that's why he says he's also the author of our faith. You know, for many of us, we were kind of floating around spiritually, trying to grasp hold of concepts of faith and concepts of Christianity. But it wasn't until we sat down with the scriptures really wrestling to say, is that my life? Am I putting that into practice? Then Jesus was able to then write our faith for us. That's the starting point. And so if you're visiting and part of us, we're a church who believes in in being disciples of Jesus. That's the beginning of this journey of faith. And if you've never become a disciple, Jesus wants to write that story for you. He wants you to be a disciple and that's the very beginning. Now for some of us that's difficult because maybe there are doctrines that we need to maybe try and wrestle with. Maybe there's lifestyles that we need to throw off so that we can truly put Jesus first within our lives. So that's the author part, but the perfection comes through us going through perhaps the hardships and the difficulties that I'll talk about in a moment. So what is the intention Remember that, intention. This is the values. And so the simple intention, I think, here is we have to remember that it is Jesus who perfects us. It is not us. It is not our own morality. But it is Jesus, as he grabs hold of us, and as we surrender ourselves to him, he's the one who is trying to make our faith perfect. And that's important that we understand that. So I'm not going to focus too much on the first two. I'd like to focus today more on the, the, the last one, which is the means. Okay? The means. 
And so the means is that we turn away from all distractions so that we can focus on Jesus and we can learn from him. So how do we do this? How do we learn from Jesus? Well, if we look at Jesus' life, we see that Jesus, even himself, went through many hardships, many challenges, and many points of suffering within his life. And I think that's one way that we're able to learn how to have our faith perfected. Would you agree? I really like this quote. It says, God uses our trials to build our faith, to draw us closer to him and give us a testimony of his faithfulness for others to see. And we see this in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. You see, Jesus himself needed to be made perfect for us. Was he not perfect already? Of course he was, but there were things about his earthly existence that still needed to be perfected. And God allowed him to go through periods of suffering, periods of trial, periods of hardship, so that him going through those and learning how to endure those, he was able to then become perfect for us. This is where, for us, running with endurance comes in learning how to deal with suffering, learning how to deal with the hardship that we may face in our lives. Jesus faithfully endured. That's how he was able to become perfect for us. I think it's important that we don't waste the suffering and the pain that God's allowing within our lives. It's there for a reason. Marriage is tough. Don't waste the pain. What is God trying to teach you about yourself in that moment? Not the other person. But what is he trying to teach you? Parenting hard? Tell me about it. This is where my grey hair comes from. It is tough. On my knees level of tough. (laughs) Not for the faint hearted. Don't waste the pain. What is God trying to teach me, us, about our character? How is he trying to grab hold of us through those hardships? They're there for a reason. Character trials, character issues. What is he trying to teach us? All of this is for a reason. So that we can humble ourselves before him, try and figure out what is going on. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to learn? Jesus, teach me how I need to grow. Don't waste the pain. You know, yesterday, Steve and I and Carrie, we were up at a, uh, an L.A. church leadership meeting. And what we're doing is we're trying to think about what, are, what things are there within the culture of our family of church in L.A. that, are just, that, that need to go. Things that may be not be as, as healthy as they should be. Things that may not be as liberating as they should be. And I tell you what, there was, we had this huge list on this wall so many things that's hard even to have to then face up to those things that's a challenge but look at where we will be once we get through those 
And once we begin to put those things into practice and make the changes that are needed, you see, that's how faith is perfected. By us realizing that we need to go through these challenges and these struggles because Jesus did for us. So as Jesus went through these, how did he go through these challenges? He didn't just suck it up and just be like, well, this is my lot. The Bible says that he faced these things with spiritual discipline. You see, that is the answer. That is the key. And look what it says here. This is just above verses 8 in chapter 5 of Hebrews. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. So how did Jesus deal with the suffering and the pain that he faced? On his knees. Praying. Going through the spiritual disciplines, that was his way to be able to endure the pain that God allowed him to face for our sake. See, Jesus lived, I read this great article, it says that Jesus lived an inside-out rhythm of life. Again and again in the Gospels we see him withdrawing to lonely places just to chill out by himself, to pray. Sharing his heart with his Father, listening to the Father, submitting to God's will, obeying God even in the hardest of times. In Psalm 1 we read about a man who meditates on the Lord day and night so that he could be righteous and loving. That's Jesus. In Psalm 1 we read about a tree that was planted by a stream of water with its roots going deep into the soil so that it could survive harsh times. That's Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, we see this incredible outline of Jesus' rhythm of spiritual life. I'm going to go through these just very quickly. So in Mark nine, sorry, Mark one, verse nine, it says that Jesus fasted and prayed for forty days before the beginning of his ministry. Mark 1.35, early in the morning, Jesus had a custom of going out to lonely places to pray. Mark 3.13, Jesus went alone to a mountain to pray all night. Wow. When was the last time we did that? Mark 6, Jesus went out on a retreat with his disciples in a boat. He said, just come away with me so that they could just simply be with Jesus. He needed it. They needed it. Mark 6.45, Jesus went up to a mountainside to walk and pray in the quiet solitude and in the beauty of nature. God's blessed us in an amazing part of the world. Do we make the most of it just to connect with God? Mark 9, Jesus took Peter, James and John and they climbed up a mountain for a spiritual retreat and they were renewed by the beauty. They talked, they prayed and they rested on the mountaintop. Mark 14, Jesus and his disciples went up to the upper room for the last supper. This was way more than just a meal. It was a mini retreat for them just to be with him, to prepare them for his parting. 
See, for Jesus, these times of solitude, these times of prayer, these times of separation away from the busyness of the world is how he was able to endure. If Jesus needed to do this, how much more so us? How much more do you and I need to be spending time with God in this way? You see, these times that we spend, they're not just a tick box exercise. But they are times, faith-building times, life-equipping interactions with the creator of the universe. That's what our quiet times should be. That's how Jesus was able to endure. You know, you'll hear me talk a lot about Dallas Willard. And this was a book that he writes all about the spiritual disciplines. And it's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And if you'd like a book for this year, this is a great one to read. But he talks about two different types of spiritual discipline. One of them is a discipline of abstinence. So that's like fasting and solitude and Sabbath and sacrifice. But today we're going to talk about disciplines, Jesus' disciplines of engagement. And I'm just going to focus on three today. Okay, you ready? Disciplines of engagement. And these are many of those. So study, worship, celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, and submission. So we're going to talk about prayer. This is what we see within Jesus. Now as I said already, the Bible says that Jesus prayed to be able to endure and go through the suffering that he faced. And the Bible says that he was heard because of his reverent submission. All because of his reverence. What does that mean? It's a really interesting word within the Greek. It literally means carrying a precious, priceless, I'm going to say it in English, vase. I'm not going to go there, but it's vase, okay? Carrying a priceless, precious vase. If you were carrying such a thing, how would you carry it? Would you just carry it carelessly, you know? How would you carry that priceless vase? With focus, with care, with attention, correct? That's how Jesus prayed. That's what that word means where it says how he prayed. He was heard because of his focus, because of his attention, and because of his care in prayer. Not just, oh, it's time to pray, Hey God, morning, bless my day, help me to be a light in this world, help me to, you know, repent. That's our prayers sometimes. I don't think Jesus prayed like that. That's what his prayer life was like. That was supposed to slide across, like carrying, but it doesn't matter. There's a great book. I know some of the brothers particularly are reading this book right now and it's the complete works of prayer by E.M. Bounds and E.M. Bounds says this I love this quote he says fervorless prayer has no heart in it it is an empty thing an unfit vessel heart and soul and life must find its place in real praying heaven must feel the force of this crying unto God. Does that sound like your prayers? Where heaven is like, what happened? 
Oh, Dave DeLuca just prayed. Oh, wow. Okay, we better get to it. That's what our prayer life should be like. Every one of us. And it's never too much for God. Never too much. But I think too often our prayers don't look like that. I'm guilty of that myself. You know, this year, as well as focusing on other things, I just want my prayer to be rejuvenated. And so I'm doing my prayer thing where I will not eat until I've prayed, gone on a prayer walk that day. It's pretty good for the waistline as well, actually. I'm going on prayer days, just spending the day with God. So encouraging. I remember sharing about this a few years ago in a church that I was a minister. And I said, you know, sometimes I'll just take off days of prayer. Take days off just to go and pray. And so one of the brothers, he had a job. He was an engineer. He started using his vacation time just to go and spend the day with God. And that amazing. Amazing. I have the privilege of doing that. He took time off work just to spend it with God. He said, CJ, it has changed my life. That brother now is leading that church. That's amazing. If Jesus needed it, how much more so us? You know, Satan does not want you to pray. He doesn't want you to pray like that. Because prayer is the birthplace of miracles. You know, a little while ago, I was... uh, We only have one car right now. And, um, which is pretty good around Culver City. You can get around and... But I said to my wife, I said, you know what, maybe we should get an electric bike and I can go off on appointments on, ele- on, on an electric bike. So I looked into it and they were like, a thousand dollars. I was like, maybe not. I'll wait. <laughs> and so one day I was heading out on my prayer walk and, uh, and I'm walking along and then I, I looked and there was a bike just left on the side of the road. And as I looked a bit closer, it was an electric bike. And then I noticed that on the seat there was a label on the bike. And it said, take me home, I'm yours. All I need is a new back tire. And I was like, what? And I you know, looked around like... <laughs> the, the battery was still in the bike. The key was still left in the bike. I got that bike and went straight back home. <laughs> just in case it was a prank. Or so. Then went back on my prayer walk, of course. But it's like... What? How did that even happen? And it didn't even need a new back tire. It just needed the, 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 the air, uh, the inner tube to be repaired. That was it. I went home and checked. That bike was $1,000. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Answered prayer. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. I just imagined having a bike. And there it was. With a note as well. Like handwritten from God. I'm yours. Anyway. Okay. This year. Let it be a year of amazing prayer. And let's just see what God will do. Okay. Next discipline of engagement. Singing. Okay. I'm going to get real now. So buckle up. Get ready. Christian song is amazing. There is no religion that sings like we do. Other religions sing, but nothing compares to this. Nothing compares in terms of the way that, it, that singing even connects us with God. 
When we sing, we praise God for who he is. We thank him for what he's done within our lives. You know, there are some songs that we sing and I just sat, stand there and I sing and I cry. Because of the words that I'm singing, the connection with my spirit to God's, what it does to my soul. There is nothing like singing. It directs us back to God. It points us to Him when we're going through hard times. It encourages one another, as it says in Ephesians 5. Singing is praying to God with music. That's what it is. So let me ask you this. If we were all praying out loud at church, would we interrupt each other in conversation? No. Why do we do it with singing? Why do we do it with singing? Look at what this says. Oh, by the way, that last verse, I don't know if you saw it, Jesus sang. So at the end of the Last Supper, he says, when they had sung a hymn, they then went out to the Mount of Olives. How did they know the lyrics? Did Jesus print them out for them? No, because it must have been part of their rhythm of how they worshipped. Jesus sang. Jesus sang. Look what this says in Ephesians 5. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. I love Carrie doing that for us today, getting us to place our hand on our hearts because we should be singing to God with our hearts. So often I think, We see the songs that we sing as just a filler before the main event or before someone comes up to speak. The songs that we sing are worship. Imagine if Jesus was up here and we were singing to Jesus. Would we be interrupting each other in conversation? We wouldn't. We would be so focused. We'd be focused on the words. We'd make sure our heart was devoted I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. This is real in our congregation. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Isn't that amazing? How many of you would go up to Jasmine while she's singing like that and say, Oh, Jasmine, I love your hair. Where did you get it from? Last Sunday, as I'm singing, somebody came up to me and said, aren't Arsenal doing well? And I'm like, I I have to ignore the person. Arsenal's my soccer team. I love Arsenal, but I love worshipping God way more. But it happened. At the worship night, I'm singing and worshipping, really focused on worshipping God, And someone spoke to me about something random like a screen at the venue. Wow. I mean, look at Lynn and Patricia. Just, hey, I love your nails. Where did you get those? No, it wouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. We've got to help each other. Don't speak to each other when we're worshipping. Let's worship God. You see, he is here. 
He's in our midst right now. When we sing, when we gather together in his name, he is with us. So let us sing and worship him and make music from our hearts to his. Amen? Okay. All right. Let's talk about sermons and lessons and teaching for a moment. Disciplines of engagement. You know, as a minister, I feel a huge responsibility to make sure that what I teach is sound, is applicable, is practical, that is doctrinally correct. It's really important to me, and I know for all of us. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, it says there are two things that when we come together are needed to edify the church. You know what those two things are? Singing is one of them, and then teaching or spoken word is the other. That's it. They're the most valuable parts of our service of us coming together. But let me ask you, how many of you take notes during sermons and lessons? Okay. If we were to have asked us 20 years ago, how many of us would have... Every single hand would have been raised. Every hand. Now maybe there's been some micro-evolution where we have now something called photographic memory. I don't have that, maybe because I'm too old, but maybe the younger people suddenly do. I remember taking notes so that I could then go over the sermon for my quiet times that week. I remember taking notes so that I could then teach it at my midweek or my small group I would know what to go back on to help people and for us to reinforce the message. How many of you can remember the last two action points from the two previous sermons? That's what I'm saying. We can't remember it. You're not here just to be entertained. We're here to learn from the Word of God so that we can think about how to put it into practice. Look at what the Bible says. This is what God says about His Word. So is my Word that goes from my mouth. It will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says, my word is being sent for a reason, for a purpose, to accomplish something. And that is to perfect our faith. That is to draw us closer to him. But we've got to engage with it on a much deeper level. Now, the beauty is, if you did make notes, you could go back and check what the last two action points were. Okay? But just sitting here and listening, for me, has how I learn, it's not enough. Because I'm way less likely to go and then put it into practice if I've just sat there and listened. Are you with me? How about personal Bible study? James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, there's sometimes I've had a quiet time in the morning and I can't even remember what verse I read. Anyone relate to that? By the end of the day, it's just gone. <laughs> I don't know what soil it was sown on, but it was gone. Do not waste the word of God. When you read it, seek it, and apply it. You know, I think 
the Bible app has left many of us malnourished. I honestly do. The Bible app is, you know, you feel good about it. Hey, five daily streaks. Woo! I'm doing great. Take me to heaven. Five. Wow. So instead of being fed full by the word of God, we just snack on it. And we feel good about ourselves and it lasts for five minutes. We're malnourished by the word of God. We don't even get, you see one verse, but we don't even get to read all around it and apply, think about how we can apply it. Someone tells you how to apply it and even then it's like, ah. And that's it. And then we go on our day. Yep, had a quiet time. Wow. There's a depth in God's word that he wants us to embrace and put into practice so our faith can be perfected. We can, if we're not careful, we can have a form of godliness but deny its power. Let's get our Bibles out. Get our Bibles out, pens out, highlighters out. Have time with God. I need to get back to do this myself. Because I've been too reliant on that Bible app. No more. No more. Okay. So this is our vim for today. This is how we learn. This is how we get our faith perfected. And I'm not saying that every single prayer needs to be heaven shaking. I'm not saying that every single quiet time that you have needs to be so life changing. But we need to see it as an opportunity for a life-giving interaction with God. Because that's what those times, those spiritual disciplines mean and what they should look like. So as we take communion today, I'd like to remind us of this verse. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus suffered so much for us. Not only on the cross, but he suffered even in living this earthly life. Think about the times when he was almost thrown off the cliff. Stoned. There was suffering that he faced so often so that we can be faithful people. So as we think today, and we think about him on the cross, and we think about his sacrifice, let it not be in vain. But every time we pick up the Bible, every time we pray, every time that we sing, let us hold that image of Jesus going before us first, so that we can give him all of our hearts in all that we do. What I'd like you to do is just share with the person next to you, How might God want you to engage in the spiritual disciplines with a deeper focus and why? If you are interested in any of the spiritual disciplines that I've mentioned, just having a little bit more of of an in-depth study into them, there's a QR code of quite an interesting website. You can get to look at that as well. So what I'd like you to do is spend just two minutes talking with the person next to you, answering this question, and then I'll come back out and pray for the communion. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you, Lord,
for the perfect example of Jesus. Thank you that not only was he your fullness in bodily form, but that he was flesh just like us. Thank you, God, that through his struggles, he was able to become perfect for our sake so that we can receive eternal salvation as long as we obey him and walk like him. God, today as we think about him going ahead of us and being our pace setter, I pray, God, that we will follow him in the same way as he engaged in prayer, in, 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 wor- in your word, in meditating on your word, in worshipping you, that that will be the way that we keep up with Jesus. And from that, God, I know that our faith will be perfected. Thank you, God, for the hard times that we face in our lives. And we pray again that we will look to Jesus and we will look to you through those to learn what we need to learn. But we thank you, Father, for your amazing son. And we pray that this year we will truly be a transformed and a changed people as we lay aside everything that's in the way and simply focus on your son. Thank you for him. Thank you for his sacrifice. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.